Genesis chapter 1. Now, we're going to pick up the story today. We're in the creation story. And so even if you're not real familiar with the Bible, you've probably heard Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then he goes through, and as we've been studying lately, we've looked at the first six days. And we've talked about these six days of creation. Starting off with God creating time and space. And then moving into the, the, the sky and the sea. And then from there into the, the planets and the stars. And then ultimately working his way down to plants and earth and animals. All right, And that's where we were uh, last week. And today where we pick up is he's going to finish day six. Then we're going to look at day seven and then into the setting of where all of this creation narrative is taking place. And, and last week, we saw him spend the first three days forming the universe and the next three days filling the universe that he'd created. You remember that? So at the beginning, he forms it all, describes that in kind of these vague terms that are hard to understand. But in the next three days, day four, five, and six, he begins putting creatures, living beings in this earth. And at the end of the last day, of day six, he brings forth the pinnacle of his creation, humankind. And I don't just say that because I'm part of humankind and I'm arrogant. Oh, we're the pinnacle of creation. (laughs) It's not that. I can say that we're the pinnacle of creation is because God tells us that's who we are. And that's who he created us to be, all right? And that's what we're going to see as we go into this. He takes these humans and places them in this location that we're going to look at as we move into chapter 2. And it's all, and I told you the very beginning of the book of Genesis, part of what Genesis does is it shares with us beginnings. Genesis is a book of beginnings. Now, not only does it tell us a lot about God, we learn a lot about God, who he is, Uh, We also learn about the beginnings of creation, the beginnings of humanity, the beginnings of sin, the beginnings of salvation. All those things are addressed in Genesis. And today, we're still focusing in on that beginning of humanity. All right, so let's read this first section in Genesis 1, starting in verse 26. Are you there with me? Here we go. Genesis 1, verse 26. Then God said... Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth and every tree with seed and its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. 
And God saw everything that he had made. And behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. Now, last week I told you that's how all of these days were set off. It starts off, the day starts off with, and God said. And then he gives all the details that took place. And then he wraps it up at the end with, and there was evening and there was morning on whatever day. Okay? And so here we are in day six, looking at humanity. Notice there in verse 26, the language that is found in our Bibles. It says, then God said, let us make man in our image. Now we talked about this on the very first day because on the very first phrase in Genesis, in the beginnings, God created the heavens and the earth. I told you it's a very curious little thing there because when you study out the Hebrew, uh, the language that Genesis was originally written in, it's very interesting because the word for God there in Genesis 1.1 is the word Elohim, which is a plural word. And when you look at that Elohim, you're like, wait a minute. It says God in our Bibles. One God, not gods. It's God. And what's going on there? And we talked about how it's kind of a mysterious thing. that It doesn't start making sense until later as you go through the rest of Scripture and you start understanding, oh, there is one God, but this one God has uh, different persons. The triune God, one God in three persons. Father, Son, and Spirit. And from the beginning of creation, the beginning of all time, Father, Son, and Spirit were there. Before all things were created, there was Father, there was Son, there was Spirit. One God in three persons. That's hard for our brains to understand. This language that we use is just to try to get our minds around this almost incomprehensible thing. All right? One God but with three persons in that one God. And so that's what we then see here. That's what now makes sense. Here in this verse 26, when God says, one God, the God, singular God, says, let us make man in our image. That's the singular and the plural going on right in that, all right? And what does he say we're going to create? He says, let us create man. Now, the the word there is Adam, Adam, okay? And he starts out when he says this, it's just this generic term for humanity. All people, Adam. Let's make Adam, all right? It's going to become a proper name. And the first guy, we're going to name him Adam. Adam, And there's still people to this day that are named after Adam. Uh, But it starts off as just this generic name for human. And they, humanity, will have dominion over the rest of creation. That's important for us to look at here. God does all this creation. He does all this magnificent stuff. And he puts these these animals on this planet. And he's the one that's shaping everything and forming everything and filling everything. But then he says here now at the end of day six, he says, we're going to create this other type of being, this human being. And we're going to put this human being on this planet that we've created and that we sustain and that we hold together. And they are going to now step in to the role that we've been taking care of. They're going to care for this planet. They are going to have dominion over all the rest of creation. There's a very unique, important relationship to animals and to the earth that God is is giving to humanity. 
And the interesting thing here, as we, we continue to go through these little phrases, is that we see this phrase that's very important. And I want you to, you may underline it in your Bible or circle it or make note of it somewhere. But he says, we're going to make this man, this humanity, in our image. In our image. And this is a really critical part about who you are and who I am as human beings made in the image of God. Now that may just seem kind of like, oh, that's kind of a weird label. I'm made in the image of God. What does that mean? Well, out of all of this incredible creation, and I hope last week that you were kind of in awe a little bit about God creating things. Um, I was as I was studying through this and thinking through this, but out of all that incredible creation, only humans are made in the image of God. And both men and women are made in the image of God. We'll see that as, as we go on. I, I love this, uh, this quote by um, a theologian named Wayne, Wayne Grudem about the image of God. Here's what he says here. It should be on the screen for you. He says, to be in the image of God is an incredible privilege. It means to be like God and to represent God. No other creatures in all of creation, not even the powerful angels, are said to be in the image of God. It is a privilege given only to us as men and women. We are more like God than any other creatures in the universe, for we alone are in the image of God. This is a big deal being made in the image of God. Now, even if you recognize that as well, okay, that's a pretty unique honor. You know, I can look at my, my horse in the field or a, a cat or a coyote running across the street and I realize, wow, I'm made in the image of God. This is, this is a difference. There's a, a difference here. Even though it's a unique honor, we don't know all that that really means. He tells us we're in the image of God, but he doesn't unpack that really that clearly for us. Theologians have suggested lots of theories. They point to our creativity. Human beings are very creative. And as we've just seen all last week, God's very creative. All right. Um, We've talked about uh, our souls. They say maybe it's the fact that we have souls. That's unique to us. Or our capacity for relationship and love. Or our inherent morality or the idea of eternity placed in us. Some or all of those things might be true, but what we do know is true and what is certain here that we understand from the text is that humans alone are made in his image. Only humans are made in the image of God. And there is a distinction that God makes specifically here between humans and animals. I, I, I read this to the, uh, the group that was here this morning early to pray and it comes from Psalm 8. Uh, three and nine, three to nine. And, and uh, this was King David who wrote this psalm. And when he was thinking about this, thinking about this story, thinking about creation, thinking about who we are in comparison to God and who we are in God's image, here's what he says in Psalm 8. He says, When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you're mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? Yet, 
You have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. What's he talking about? The fact that we're made in God's image. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea. Whatever passes along the paths of the seas, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. When we get an understanding of the privilege it is to be made in God's image, it should astound us. It should really blow us away. It should also humble us a bit. Now, I I realize that sometimes when we think about that, you step back and say, okay, I'm made in the image of God. You're like, well, are all people made in the image of God? Because we think about that and we think, ah, there's some people that are pretty broken. There's some people that seem like they're made a little more in the image of God than other people. There are some people, we we come in all shapes and sizes, all amounts of brokenness and goodness and badness, right? And so with a lot of those different things, we're all trying to figure out, you know, who is it? Where are we? Where do we fit? But it should, it should humble us and give us this sense of, wow, we're made in God's image. And also we have this responsibility for creation. But I also think that it should drive us to worship, just like it did with David. When he steps back, he's like, how on earth is this? Why would you care about humanity? You're God, but you care about us. Oh Lord, how majestic is your name. We, you, are made in the image of God. Now, let's, let's look at verse 27. So he says there, God created man in his own image, just like he said he was going to. In the image of God, he created him. And notice this, in verse 27, it says, male and female, he created them. This is important. This is important to see. Verse 27 tells us that God created two genders, two distinct genders, male and female. And I want you to notice that before the fall, there's no sin yet, okay? The fall is when sin enters the world. Before the fall, God equally created us in his image, yet with differences, all right? So those are the two things to pay attention to with humanity. We're all created in his image, And we are created in two distinct genders. And the differences that happened even before the fall, the differences were very good. Now, many of you know right now, okay, well, that's that you're getting into some some sketchy territory here. Like there's a whole lot of conversation and dialogue going on about here, about all of this. I'm not going to avoid that. We're we're going to get to it, but we're not going to get to it today. We're actually going to get to it next week because when we start looking at the fall and the curse and some of what that entails, I I think that that gives us more clarity on this. There's not a whole lot that we get right here. All we get is this description of, okay, we're made in the image of God and there's differences. Although we're equal, there's differences. And what does that look like? And and we will, we'll discuss that, but you're going to have to wait and come back next week for some of that, if you want some of that detail. Because today, what we want to do is we want to get to the complete creation account. We want to be able to get through all seven days and and the setting for all this. All right, so put a pin on that, and we'll come back to it next week. In verse 28, I also want you to notice this. It says right there at the beginning of verse 28, after he's made them in his image, they're male and female, it says, and God blessed them. 
as soon as he creates humanity, the first thing, the first interaction that we see with God, with humanity, is that he blesses them. And I want you to notice, this is God's heart toward humanity. Many people have a very twisted view of who they think God is. And we find our understanding or our perspective, our viewpoint of who God is in all sorts of places. Sometimes we find it from the Bible. A lot more often is we hear it from somebody. Maybe it's a family member who talks to us about God. Maybe it's because we went to church somewhere. We were in a Sunday school class. Maybe it's because we ran into somebody who claimed to be a believer or a Christian and they told us crazy stuff. There's all sorts of different ways that we pick up this information about who God is. But where we always want to come back to is the word of God to understand what God says about who God is. That's gonna be the best place for us to find that information. And the, the thing that we see here about God is that he has a heart to bless us. Unfortunately, a lot of people running around in the world right now have a view of God that he's this angry, violent, cursing God that just kind of glares down from heaven looking for somebody to make a mistake. You know, we picture God. We, we even joke about it sometimes saying, oh man, watch out, don't want to be by them. Lightning might, you know, hit them. God may just out of heaven throw down a bolt of lightning because he sees how they're living their lives or whatever, right? And that's that viewpoint of, okay, I'm gonna watch. I'm gonna see, ooh, what'd you say? I heard that, you know, boom. People have that view, but that's not an accurate view. Does God get angry? Yes, he does. Is God a, a God of justice and will he execute justice? justice? Yes. Is God's desire to destroy humanity? No, that's not his desire. His desire is to bless us. That's important. In Ezekiel 33, 11, God speaking says this. He says, as I live, declares the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn back, turn back from your evil ways. That is the heart of God toward humanity. I, he's, he's saying, I don't get some joy. I didn't create you so I could stomp on you like an ant. That's not what gives me great joy. I'm not finding pleasure in this. That's not what I want. I want you to come to me. I want you to turn from wickedness. And so God blesses them. And not only does he bless them, he goes on there in verse 28 and he commissions them. What does he say? He says, be fruitful. What we see is this, this transfer of power from the God, the creator, is now transferring power to his creation, to humanity. And he says, I want you to have dominion over this creation. And I want you to take responsibility. I want you to be fruitful. Now that very well may refer back to us being made in his image. But before now, God was the one responsible for filling the earth and ruling over it. But now he calls humanity to step into this role. Get this. We didn't create the earth, but we are commanded to care for it as human beings. And I think that should have implications for how we live in this world. 
We have a responsibility that we have been given from God. Now, in verse 29, this is the vegetarian's favorite verse. All right? I'm going to read it again to you. It says, And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth, and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. Okay? Every plant was given for food, both for humanity and for the animal kingdom. Now, when you look at this and you read this, it kicks off all kinds of fun questions. When you start thinking about the Bible, you're like, oh, okay, hmm, what does this all mean? How does this live out? Does this mean that in the beginning, all of the carnivores, you know, the lions, the the meat eaters, did carnivores only eat grass and lettuce? Can you imagine feeding? You know how much lettuce a lion would have to eat to stay afloat? Is that the way it was? Um, before the fall, we don't know, guys. You know, I've told you before, I'm, I'm like, I'm the dumbest pastor in all of Eastlake, right? Because I always tell you, I don't know, I don't know. We don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us what it was like. If, 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 if there was, was there even death in the animal kingdom before the fall? Was there? Or was there a natural life cycle of things coming and going? We have, we have, Actually, I should say we have mild ant issues right now at our house. Anybody else? Ants? Ants? Anybody? Nobody. Good. They're all at my house. If you want to know. Okay, we've got a few. Do you realize if ants, at the beginning of creation, if there is no death of any type, and how fast ants can make more ants and more ants, do you realize the earth would be crawling with ants in a few years? So how did that work? How did, the, how did those early, uh, you know, what was the food chain like? Was there a food chain? Or did everybody just rely on plants? We don't know. We don't know those things. It's fun to talk about and think about, but we don't know. And if there wasn't death from other animals in the natural world, what about just death period? What happens when a mountain goat fell off a ledge too far? Would that mountain goat die? No, there's... There's no good answers. There's no, we don't know. It's some fun things, though, to think about. You guys will solve all that at Life Group this week. I'm sure of it. So we're not told of those things. But what are we told? Because that's the part that I tell you all the time. The part we want to hold on to and build our foundations on are the things that it actually tells us, not the things that we don't know about. All right? So I'm not telling you you all have to become vegetarians. Some of you in here might say that, but I, I'm not going to tell you that you have to do that. What do we know? What are we told? God did it, and it was very good. God created it, and it was very good. And that ends the creation account, but not the creation week. Okay, we're not done because we move now into chapter 2. And chapter 2, here's what he says. He says, thus, the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And look at verse 2 of Genesis 2. And on the seventh day, so we've got the three days of forming, the three days of filling, days one through six. And now here we are on the seventh day. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. Because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. Day seven is a day of rest. And that seventh day of rest is very important. 
And I think that it has some deep implications as to how we should order and structure our own lives. All right? God gave us an example of ceasing from work and resting. But why would God do that? Was he tired from all that creation? I mean, come on, that took a lot of creativity, a lot of thought. Have you ever tried to bring all the land together and separate land from sea? Have you tried to think about all those millions of creatures to come up with, you know, giraffe stripes and long necks and all the different things of all the different, hey, maybe he was tired. No, God doesn't get tired. He wasn't worn out. He didn't need the rest. But why would he rest? God would rest because God was giving an example for his creation. He doesn't get tired. He doesn't fall asleep, but we do. We need rest. We need to be refreshed. And as the the book goes on, as the Bible goes on, we'll find out that this, this rest, this day of rest, this break from our work is very important. And, and he'll explain it more to us as we go on through scripture. Seven, the seventh day here, seven is often called the number of completion in the Bible. This is the very first example of that in all the Bible. Day seven, completion. The work was finished and it was very good. And the seventh day of rest was made holy, notice that, by God. That means it was set apart. It was a value. There's something special about this day of rest. And later, when, when God established the law for his people, he will make it very clear that they too should have a day of rest every week. It became known as the Sabbath. You might have heard that before. A holy day of rest, not a day for work. And following God's example and command in this is a spiritual practice that comes out of that. The practice of Sabbath. And, and while we don't have rules that we put in place for those kinds of things, I believe it's important, important for the spiritual growth and health of a Christian to have some time, have a day in the week that you really set aside your work. I understand it's hard. I understand for some of you, you say it's impossible, but it's important. And, and I don't have time to do a full in-depth study on the the spiritual practice of Sabbath here today, but it's something that you really ought to think about and consider, and, and we will study it in depth in the future because I think it is so important, and it's so um, critical, especially in the world that we live in right now, because let's face it, people can get to us and get through to us all the time. The days are gone when you used to go to the place of work, you'd clock in, you do your work, you clock out and you leave, and you never have any work to deal with at home, at night, in the morning, in the afternoon, every, every waking hour. But we need, to, we need to consider that and think about this here. So as chapter 2 now continues to move a little bit farther forward, it gives some other important details about humanity. And it's going to complete the picture that we have of the setting that they're, they're placed in. In verse 4, we find kind of a recap, all right? And here's what it says in 2 verse 4. These are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. And when no bush of the field was yet in the land and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land 
and there was no man to work the ground, and a mist was going up from the land and was watering the whole face of the ground. Very interesting verse there. It's almost as if there was an internal irrigation system on earth to water all of, of those things. Then in verse 7 it says, Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. Now, I will not ask for a show of hands this morning of how many of you are of the opinion that men are dirt, okay? But if you are of that opinion, you're right. <laughs> That's what it says right here. God forms man from dirt, from the dust of earth. Um, did you know that 96% of your body is made up of only four elements, oxygen, carbon, hydrogen, and nitrogen. 96% of every cell in your body is only made up of those four simple elements. We are created from the raw materials of earth as humans. But we aren't just a composition of dirt, okay? And, and that's kind of the nihilistic approach for a lot of people that they look around and they're like, oh yeah, we're all just dirt. It's all just this chaotic ball spinning through space and who knows what's happening, all right? No, that's not what we see. That's not the scriptural perspective. Yes, we're formed from dirt, from these elements, these elemental raw materials, but we are unique in that God has breathed life into us, all right? God breathed life into us. Now, the, the breath of life comes from God. This is, this is poetic, yes, but it's true. We've already learned that God is light. We talked about that, that in the past couple of weeks. Now we see here God is life. And I do understand that that is miraculous and mysterious, but God has brought life to us. And then we move to verse 8 to 14. We're almost, we're almost done here today, guys. Hang on. Here we are in verse 8. And here's what he says now that he's got this this man formed from dirt, verse eight, and the Lord God planted a garden in Eden, in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground, the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. This is, remember, this is kind of a recap of what we've seen in the days of creation. And the tree of life was in the midst of the garden. And the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Two trees, pay attention to those. And a river flowed out of Eden to water the garden. And there it divided and became four rivers. The name of the first is the Pishon. It is the one that flowed around the whole land of Havilah where there is gold. And the gold of that land is good. Bedellium and onyx stone are there. The name of the second river is the Gihon. It is the one that flowed around the whole land of Cush. And the name of the third river is the Tigris which flows east of Assyria. And the fourth river is the Euphrates. Now, the setting for the, this first story of humanity is given here. The setting is a place called Eden. All right, that's what we learn, Eden. It's a garden curated by God for people to enjoy. That's what we get out of this little description. There's, there's these trees growing in it. It's lush, it's fertile. The plants are providing all their fruits and vegetables are growing. There's, there's this garden. And that is where these people are, are to be put. Now, notice here it says that it was located in the east. This is just a, an interesting um, little 
you know, aside that Moses adds here when he's writing this. I told you that Moses is the one who wrote the book of Genesis. That's what the Bible tells us. Um, I think this is pretty interesting because as we talked about, Moses, when he was wandering thousands of years after creation, he's wandering in the Sinai Peninsula with the people of Israel after, after they've come out of Egypt, out of slavery, and now they're wandering in the wilderness. God, it tells us that God speaks to Moses and he's telling him the background story. And Moses is writing this stuff down. And I imagine that when God starts talking to Moses about Eden, Moses is like, whoa, where's that place at? And he's like, God, where, where is this garden? I'd like to go find that place. We're going to wander around here out in the dirt for however many years. He didn't know it'd be 40 years, but I, I, a garden like that sounds really good right now. And God's just kind of talking with him. He's like, I, you know, it's in the east. <laughs> All right, the east of where? Well, east of Sinai. That's the location. We do not know um, where the, the Garden of Eden actually was. Now, there are a few landmarks here that are brought up, right? These four rivers, the Tigris and Euphrates rivers, you might have heard of those before, they still exist. To this day, they're in Iraq and they flow into Syria and into Turkey. Tigris and Euphrates are still there. But you also have to remember this. We're talking ancient, ancient, ancient times. This is pre-flood. So if you know the story about Noah and the ark, we're going to get to that one in Genesis, right? But what that tells us is there was a massive flood. And so when those waters receded, did the Tigris River fall right back into the same Tigris Valley? Did the Euphrates take the same path that it was on after it had been underwater? We don't know. All right, so even though we know that there's these two rivers that share this, these names, are they in the same place? Was that where it was? Was it in Iraq? We don't know. No one knows where the original garden was located. But we do know that what it was like, that it had this, this it was this, this paradise, this place for these people. And in it, there are these two trees that are important. Two trees that impact the destiny of humanity, the tree of life and the tree of knowledge. Now, the tree of life will show up again at the end of the Bible in Revelation. In Revelation chapter 2, 7, here's what it says. It says, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. At the end of that book, when John has this vision that God gives him of what the new heaven and the new earth is going to be like, it says this about the tree of life. Revelation 22, 1 and 2 says, Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. Also, on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit. Didn't know that about it, but 12 different types of fruit, yielding its fruit in each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. All right, so this, this tree this is going to show up again um, later in Scripture. It's very important. And then, of course, the tree of knowledge of good and evil, um, it won't show up again after Genesis, but we'll be seeing it next week when it comes to the fall. All right, and so the last verses that we look at here today, verses 15 to 17, here's what it says. It says, And the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man saying, you may surely eat of every tree in the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. 
For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Two important things. I know I've said a lot of important things today, but two more critical parts to the story. The work and the warning. Notice that Adam was given the responsibility of work before the fall. That's good for us to know. He was to tend and to organize the garden. I think a lot of people view work as the curse. That's the curse. That's the fall. But we're made to work as human beings. Before the falls happened, Adam was supposed to to be working. It's part of the way that we express who we are as people made in the image of God. I admit, I sometimes think it would be so nice to just be independently wealthy and never have to work another day of my life, right? But honestly, God knows me better than I even know me, but I would probably be too lazy. I would probably not do the things that I need to do. I would probably not do the things that God's called me to do in life if I didn't have to deal with any of the other stuff, if I could just put it on cruise control all the time, Right? And we're not to neglect the responsibility of what God has created us for. And when we reflect, we reflect our creator, when we create, as we bring order to disorder and we care for each other and for the world that we live in. Now, I admit, not all jobs are good work, okay? I'm not saying that your job is is necessarily good. It may be awful. But work itself is part of how God created us. Work is a part of the good creation. So Adam was to work, but also Adam was warned. He was warned. We only know of one negative command that God had given Adam so far. One thing. Don't eat of the tree of knowledge. Adam, eat whatever you want to eat. Build that rock wall however you want to build it. Put your house where you want it in the garden. I don't care. Do whatever you like. Just don't eat of this one tree. This tree is going to come back to to have incredible importance, as we'll see in chapter 3. And this command is clear to both Adam and Eve that, that they know what this command is like. So the stage is set. The characters are in place. And that is humanity at its beginning. Now, there's a lot of questions that I'm sure that you have in there. Well, what about this? What about that? What did he look like? Was he tall? Was he fat? Was he skinny? Did he like to do this? Was he, you know, did he have all these, was he brilliant? Was he dumb? Those are all fun, wonderful questions. We don't know. But here we have humanity made in God's image, ready for what's to take place. Now, what should we take away from this story today as we finish? couple things. Hopefully, more knowledge about God. Hopefully, as you see this story and you you get a, a view of what God is doing here, you recognize that God is our creator and that he gave us the unique honor of being made in his image, but also that he desires to bless us and to care for us and guide us. We aren't here because of a cosmic accident. We're here because the almighty God chose to bring us into existence. That gives you a a different view of the world around you and a different way to live life. Also, 
we're to see that the things in the beginning were very good. God put humanity in paradise. Creation in its original form was glorious in every way. And I think that that helps us also as we imagine what waits for us beyond this life. Because we have promise from God and from Jesus, his son, who came as God in the flesh. We have a promise that God is going to make all things right again. We haven't even got to sin yet. We'll talk about sin. And there's a lot of impact on the world and on creation because of sin. But one day, we're going to be in a world that's beyond that. In Revelation 21.5, here's what the one who's seated on the throne says. It's God. He says, Behold, I am making all things new. And also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. That's coming from God, who with a word can speak existence into existence. Jesus himself told us the same thing in John 14, 1 to 3. He says, let not your hearts be troubled. Why would our hearts be troubled? Because of all the bad stuff that happens in life, right? Don't let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. And will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. Life is hard, but God is good. Amen. All right? I hope you brought some of that into your brain and into your heart today. And uh, let's, let's pray and we'll continue um, as we finish up our service here today. Lord, I know that that's a lot for us to process. But God, we believe that you want us to know who you are. We believe that you want us to consider the works of your hands. And Lord, you want us to recognize who we are in relation to you. God, we thank you for the creation that you gave us. We thank you for the breath of life that we have. God, we recognize that life is not always easy. Sometimes it's confusing. Sometimes it's discouraging. Sometimes it's depressing. But God, it's helpful for us to know that you're a God who loves us, a God who cares about us, a God who created us to thrive. And Lord, I just pray for my church family here today. And I just ask God that you would be near to them, that you would breathe new life into their souls. If there are places in their hearts and their minds that are discouraged, if there are places of fear, places of anxiety or worry, Lord, that you'd remind them that you're the creator of the universe. And not only are you the creator of the universe, but you're a God who loves them. That they are uniquely and wonderfully made in your image. And God, may we hold on to that. God, I pray that as we continue to start working now into the, the shift away from the perfect creation and into the fall and the brokenness of creation, Lord, I pray that you would consistently encourage us. I pray that as we study your word and we learn more about your word, that you would comfort our hearts, that you would give us a vision for who you are, 
that that vision, Lord, would transform the way we live our lives. May we be the light of the world. May we go into our homes and into our communities, into our places of work, into our schools, and may we shine your light to the world around us. This is a world that does not have the hope that there's a creator who loves them, a creator who designed them with a purpose. But Lord, we know that, we're learning that. And so Lord, I pray that you would cement that in our hearts and allow us to share that with the world around us. God, we pray that as we go from this place this morning, that we would be able to be the light and salt of the world. That we would love one another, we'd care for one another, and that we would walk in victory, walk in joy as believers are to do. Thank you for this morning. Thank you for your word. In Jesus' name we pray.